Thank you. Good morning, LifeSpring. Wow. What good worship, right? Yeah, it's powerful. Yeah, so good to have Nicole singing up here. It's just so great. I just want to remind everybody that Corey Proctor is coming next week. Um, you guys, if you're like me, you have somebody in your family or you know a friend who only goes to church on Christmas and Easter, right? And usually it's because that's the safe time to go to church for people, the appearance of being a safe time. They can go to church because they know there's going to be a lot of other people that are only there for Christmas and Easter along with them. And so they go on Christmas and Easter because it feels safe. Well, I just want to remind you that Corey Proctor, having him here, is kind of like that in a way. It's going to be one of those services where it, is, it does feel a lot safer. And so I want to encourage you to invite friends that you might feel led by that to come to church services next week to hear Corey speak. There's going to be a lot of people, a lot of his family is going to be here who, who haven't heard the word of God and who have never heard him preach. He's kind of new to it, so I'm sure he's nervous, but he's really excited. And whenever you get that new Christian, right, they're on fire for the Lord. You can just feel it. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, so invite people to come. It's going to be a lot of fun. Before we get started, I want to tell you about a meeting we had this week. Dan, Micah, and I, we meet every Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. to talk about you guys. No, I'm just kidding. No, we talk about church, what's going on, what's coming up, uh, some of the events going on. We pray for everybody. Uh, we pray for each other. It's uh, a great time. Um, I don't know if you know this, but Dan and I, we could be pretty competitive against one another quite a bit. Um, I remember not too long ago, we went to, uh, it's called Dave and Buster's, it just opened up. We went there, we had Ryan with us, and we had Micah with us, and we were playing the, uh, what is it called, the air hockey. They have a four-way air hockey. It used to be two players, now they have one person on every side. And well, we took out Micah pretty fast, and we took out Ryan pretty quick, and then it was just me and Dan, and we were just sweating, and we were hitting that ball. I mean, it took about 10 minutes before the game was finally over, and I was exhausted, um, so we could be pretty competitive. And since he's not here and I have the microphone, I'll just say I won. Um, <laughs> oh, well, he might change that, uh, that view next week. We'll see. But you heard it here first. Um, but as I was saying, we get competitive. And so this week at our meeting, I said, Dan, I heard you calling it Thessalonica all Sunday long. And I don't want to say it wrong because I've always ta been taught that it's Thessalonica, right? And he kept calling it Thessalonica. And he says, because he saw it on that video that we watched the first week, the Bible Project, remember that video? He said, they call it Thessalonica, and he trusts them. I said, no. And we, of course, we got our Bibles with us, and you know, we got our computers, and we start looking this word up. We start searching how to say this word. I went to a Bible website that explains that if you hit the play button on a certain word, it'll tell you exactly how to say it. And it, they said it, pronounced it Thessalonica, the right way. And he would say, no, it's Thessalonica. So then we decided... Fine, we're going to just see what the Bible app says about it and see what, you know, and we're just going to live with that. If the, whatever the Bible app says is what we're going to live with, and this is what we heard. Acts 17. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Thessalonica, come on. Well, we're not living with Thessalonica because that's, come on. No one's ever heard that before. I've got to contact these guys at the Bible app and tell them they're saying their words wrong. So we decided, because we couldn't agree on anything, we decided just to call it T-Town. So, T-Town it is. It's in the Bible, everybody. 
T-Town. Is it Tacoma? I'm still going to call it T-Town. I'm sticking with it. Thessalonica. So if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and uh, turn into 1 Thessalonians. We're going to get started with this. Uh, Dan did week one. He went through three verses. Uh, we're going to go through eight today. So we got a lot to dig into. So let's dive in. So if you have your Bibles, yes, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and let's get started. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. For we never came with the words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we, have, we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but of our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. Let's pray. Father God, we're just so grateful to be in this presence this morning, to be just together with you and the Holy Spirit, uh, just to go through this word. You've given us this word this morning, and we just want to dive into it, Lord Jesus. We just pray that you just fill our hearts with the Holy Spirit this morning, and that we can just receive this word that you have given us. We just allow it to just change us from the inside out. We just love you so much. In your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, I want you to think with me for a moment. I want you to think of somebody in your life uh, who has um, inspired you, someone who has influenced you in a good way, not a negative way, but someone who has impacted your life, uh, someone you aspire to become, maybe in the past or, or even now, someone you would call a great leader. Now, what are the characteristics of that person? What draws you to him or to her? What makes that leader so effective? I want you to think on this for a few moments, and we're going to come back to it uh, in a little bit, but I want you to have that person in your mind. Uh, think of that person. Uh, imagine their face, their name. You don't have to say it, but just think about that person. As we continue through our series of First Thessalonians this morning, we're going to see two characteristics, two aspects of their service, two adjectives that should describe all Christian leaders. And when I speak of Christian leaders, I'm not referring to just to myself or Pastor Dan or the leadership team here. I'm talking about you guys as well. You guys are all Christian leaders in your own community. Whether it's in your home or in your work or when you're going to the grocery store or to Starbucks, you are a Christian leader in your community. But there are two characteristics of all followers of Jesus. And Paul gives them to us here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. He does it, though, by describing himself. Now, you've got to hear me. He's not here. He's not boasting. He's a very humble dude. And he, but what he's doing is he's doing this in response to his critics, to those that are saying awful things about him. You've got to understand, the gospel is at stake. The church is at stake. It's at risk at, in Thessalonia. And if you were with us on our first Sunday, um, let me briefly paint you a background picture if you were not. And what's this? We see it over in Acts 17. Paul comes into this town of Thessalonica. He strolls into the synagogue as he always does. He preaches. People come to faith. And as it always happens, the Jewish leaders, they freak out. They don't like Paul. They don't want him here preaching. They freak out and they chase Paul out of town. So apparently there are people there 
likely the Jewish leaders, who again are questioning Paul's motives. They're trying to, they, these people, the Jewish leaders, are trying to lead this young, fragile church, this brand new church in Thessalonica. They're trying to lead these people astray. And what they're doing is, because they know Paul ran out of town, so they're saying, you see this message? His message is a load of junk. Don't believe Paul. He was just concerned with himself, with lifting himself up. Why else would he have skipped town? Of course, they didn't tell him, tell him that they chased him out of town with burning pitchforks and whatnot. They chased him out of town. They're not telling them that. They're saying that he skipped town, that he just left. So Paul, he writes back to these Thessalonian leaders. He knows he's not there, so he has to figure out a way to explain his side of the story, to tell them what the truth is. And so he writes to these Thessalonian believers. He defends his time of ministry there. And in the process, he shows us of what a biblical servant looks like and allows us to look into the devoted Christian, Christian leader's heart. But then again, these aren't just things that for those who might get labeled as leaders. Again, it's all of us. And what, if you think about what is leadership, leadership is influence. We've all, everyone in this room, has somebody behind them, observing them, watching them, seeing who we're leading to Jesus, seeing who we're not leading to Jesus, or seeing who we're leading away from Jesus, right? There's always somebody behind us watching us. Now, here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul shows us a vision for what Christian service is. And there are really two angles, two responsibilities for us. And here's the first. Our first responsibility is to boldly present his gospel no matter the cost. Boldly present his gospel no matter what it costs. The apostle here reminds them uh, to keep the message pure, to keep the message pure and to have boldness in our God to declare you the gospel of God. That's what it says in verse 2. As he puts it in verse 3, he makes an appeal. Let me find my verse 3. There it is. Verse 3, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or attempt to deceive. He makes an appeal to them during his time there. He told them the good news, and that's what good news is, right? Good news is what the gospel means. That's what good news is, the gospel of how we're sinners. It explains of how we're sinners, of how God's holy, of how we deserve judgment as a result, but of also how Jesus died for us. He took our sins away. He took our punishment to the cross and he rose from the dead. And because of that, we can have hope. We can have hope here. We can have hope now. And we can have hope in our future because of Jesus. That's what Paul presented to them. And again, God worked. God uses Paul. He worked in this community of Thessalonica. He reminds them of what he didn't do while he was there. This is where Paul, he first begins to speak to his critics. He's trying to remind the people there that he's writing to of what he did not do, of what they're saying he did, but he did not do this. Look at verse 3. His message isn't based on error. It is the true gospel of God. It doesn't come from impurity. Paul isn't after sexual immorality. He doesn't come to deceive. He doesn't try to bait and switch these followers. That's not Paul's way. And it shouldn't be our way but it is a common tactic. We've seen it before. Satan utilizes these tactics. It's called false teaching, and it's common. Many fall into sexual sin. Sexual sin. People will do anything they can to get conversions. Our enemy loves to use the counterfeit messengers with counterfeit messages 
to lead whole crowds of people astray and by doing so discredit the Bible. Satan no doubt wants to lure leaders in that direction. Um, I knew a pastor once who was tempted um, at church. He was tempted into sin by somebody at the church. There are things that the devil dangles down in front of all of us, not just up here, but all of us in this room. There's things that the, de- the devil puts in front of you that he wants you to take. And by taking that bait, it makes Jesus look bad. The devil would love that. And so we have to pray, Christ will lead us away from temptation and deliver us from evil. Amen? Paul didn't come to do any of this stuff. Everywhere he did ministry, and Thessalonica included, he sought to please God. Verse 4, it says this, So we listen not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. He didn't come to please people. He loved them, but he wasn't there to please them. He certainly isn't living in fear of them. He's been chased out of every city around, so he's not really afraid of them. He's standing in fear of God. He's trying to please God, and he's trying to be faithful to God. It's because he sees himself as a steward. I skipped over some uh, words at the beginning of verse 4. The apostle writes this, though. He writes, But just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel... Now, you've heard that, that uh, word or that concept of stewardship in churches before. It's usually in relationship to money, right? Uh, we've talked about it before, about being a good steward, being a steward of your money. God owns it, right? That's what we've just God owns it. He lets you take care of it. You use it for his purposes. You're the manager. You're the steward of God's money. Well, I heard this conversation once about from a... Uh, actually, this was like two weeks ago, a father and a kid... Uh, the kid wanted to spend his money in a certain way that the father was not happy with. It wasn't my kids. Could have been my kids. I've actually had that conversation before. But they said, well, the kid said, it's my money. I can spend it how I want to spend it, right? And the father responded with, oh, yeah, well, where do you work? Where do you work? It's like that. It's the same with us. It's not really our money. He just, God just lets us use it. For his purposes. And it's the same thing with the, with the message, with the Bible. It's not our message. It's God's message. So if you are the steward of money, it just says you are the steward of the word of God. And that's how Paul, the apostle, sees himself. He's been given this message. He's been entrusted with this message. He can't squander it. He cannot drop the ball. He's a steward of the word of God. It's humbling, but it's also liberating Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He says this, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. We're like Paul here. We've been made ministers of servants of his message. And we've got to take care of it. We must boldly present his gospel to people. We must be found faithful. Paul did this no matter what the cost. Verse 2, it reminds us of how he got out of the city. Out of the, out of the city of Philippi, right? He fled for his life out of the city of Philippi. He didn't just stroll out of the city. He fled, which means people were chasing him with the intent of doing bodily harm. He fled. But the change of scenery between Philippi and Thessalonica, it didn't change, it didn't change anything. He faced the same stuff in Thessalonica. They chased him out again. He reminds them that he declared the gospel to them 
in the midst of much conflict. There was a lot of conflict for him. I remember when I was younger, um, much younger, I'll add, I used to race mountain bikes. And I remember a time uh, we were at the top of this mountain and we were decided we're going to ride down this really steep incline. It was almost vertical. Um, we were stupid. You know? And so we would we'd ride down this, bike, uh, down this mountain. There's no trail. It's just a mountain face. And so we were riding down this thing, you know, me and a couple other guys. And I was okay, but the guy next to me, you know, because I was a little bit more cautious, but the guy next to me, he hit a rock wrong, and he would roll all the way. He went head over heels all the way down to the bottom of the mountain. We had to get a, an, or a helicopter to come get him out and take him to the hospital. He was severely hurt for a long time. Um, and another time we were riding, I remember there was always a creek, uh, maybe this deep, and there would always be this creek that we'd ride across every single day. We'd ride across this creek every single day. One day it was raining, and we were out riding. It was pouring rain. The creek was no longer a creek. It was now a river. It was probably this deep, and it was flowing, and it was probably two times as wide now. And we were like, well, we rode all this way. We hit this thing every day. Let's do it. And so right when we hit the water, boom, we went sideways. The bikes and people were flowing down the river, nearly drowning all the way down. Um, and then this last time, we, were, we rode to the top of this mountain. There was an observatory up there at the top of this mountain. And we decided to ride home. We would ride down the streets on the pavement on mountain bikes. And it was uh, um, turns like this all the way down. And we were going so fast, we were passing up cars. They were going too slow for us. We were passing up cars. We had bike helmets on, but it didn't matter. If you were to mess up once, you're a dead man. Um, we did some really stupid things all the time. So that was my life, though. Like, it would be week in, week out. I knew there was a possibility that I was going to be in the ER. I knew there was a strong possibility that I was going to break bones, which I did a lot. I would break bones, and that was just on par, though, for me. That was the par for my life. That was just me. And friends, as believers, I believe we have to expect the same thing. Maybe not broken bones, but things should never get too comfortable in our lives. We have to forge through the pain. We have to expect flack from people. When you're presenting the gospel to friends, to family, to uh, strangers, you're going to expect flack from people. You have to let it roll off your shoulders. And you have to have a thick skin. If you've ever done any kind of uh, volunteering or ministry or outside of just talking to people about Jesus, you've discovered yourself that you have to have a thick skin. Um, it's too easy for people to just poke holes in your story um, especially if they're not believers. And so you have to have a thick skin. You have to be able to present the gospel boldly for God. Telling people that they're sinners and that there's only one way of escape and that hell is real and forever, that is not the way to win friends or influence people. Have you guys seen those guys that hold up the signs that say, turn or burn? Turn or burn. I, they're always alone. I've never seen people go to them. They walk wide around them. And to this day, I've seen it quite a bit. I've never, ever, ever, ever heard a story of that particular method of bringing people to Christ. If anything, it turns them away from Christ. Because when you're presenting just this one little tiny message of turn or burn, um, it doesn't work. And guess what? That's not God's message. It's not turn or burn. His message is real. It's love. It's the opposite of what all that is. As Roman one put, Romans 1 puts it, his gospel is the power of God. And when we proclaim it, his spirit gets involved. 
And when God's Spirit gets involved, big things happen. Big things happen. That is, but we have to remain faithful. We have to be faithful. The temptation, of course, is especially, especially when you're suffering, is to not steward the word well, to not be a good steward of the Bible. When you're suffering, for some people, and I've seen this in my own life, um, I want to just yell at God and say, and blame God for stuff instead of taking it on myself and just not being a good steward of the word of God. You see it on, on the extremes on both sides. Uh, you got people on the, on the right who believe in the Bible, affirm the beliefs that they are very conservative, but they can be the worst at holding back the truths of the gospel. They can sugarcoat the gospel. They can avoid the hard things in the gospel. They can manipulate the gospel, but they do it with the desire to please man, to please those people that they win or that stand back that are impressed with them. They don't do it to please God. They do it to please man. And then, of course, you get the people on the other side of the equation who sand the rough edges, but they deny the bloody cross. They deny the exclusivity of Jesus. They say whatever culture wants to hear, regardless of what God's word says. They, want, they just say what you want to hear. Not necessarily what's written in here, just what sounds good, what makes you happy. Problem with that, though, is now you've got, you're left with a sword that's dull on both sides. And that sword will not kill, and that sword will not make alive. The temptations are strong, but God calls us to be faithful. He calls us to be stewards. He tells us to boldly present the gospel, to do it no matter what the cost. And what happens next? He, God, handles the results. It's not you and I. It's God. All we can do is plant the seeds. Some of us can water those seeds, but in the end, it's going to be up to God. He's going to handle it. He's got it control. United Airlines has been in the news a lot lately. Um, but does anybody remember the music video back in 2009? Uh, 2009 is when viral videos was first invented, I think. And that means just, it's just everywhere. Those videos go viral, and they're all over the place. Well, in 2009, there was this guy named Dave Carroll. He looked out his window. He was at O'Hare Airport in Chicago. He looked out his window, and he saw these guys chucking his, his guitar back and forth on the tarmac. And he would holler at the stewardess, said, hey, look what they're doing. What are they doing? And they just kind of like shrugged it off. They didn't really care. Well, when he got to where he was going, he checked his guitar, and yeah, his very expensive Taylor guitar was smashed to bits and pieces. United, they didn't seem to care. They didn't help him. They didn't reply to him. He waited a year to hear from them, and they didn't say anything. So he took it upon himself to write a song and make a video that was forwarded all over the web titled, United Breaks Guitars. United Breaks Guitars. I checked this week. This was 2009. I checked this week just to see how that video, it's still going. It has 18 million views right now. 18 million views. Wow. Talk about bad publicity for United. They break guitars. Friends, it's not like we have the real power to break the gospel like that guitar. We've been given this message from God, and we're meant to handle it carefully. We're meant to present it faithfully. And there's an important principle I want you to uh, grasp before we move on, and that's this. Fruitfulness is tied to faithfulness. Fruitfulness is tied to faithfulness. 
If you take anything home with you today, take that. Fruitfulness is tied to faithfulness. There is power in the purity of the message. That's so clearly why Paul, what Paul is trying to get across. He praises God for the fruit. He loves the Thessalonians. All through chapter 1, he is praising them. And he's praising God for the fruit among the Thessalonians. All through chapter 1. But in chapter 2, the apostle shows just how that fruit got there. It came about because he went about doing things the right way. Paul. And that validated his ministry. Now, of course, people can produce... Um, they can produce what looks like fruit in their own strength. Anybody can do that with the wrong methods. It happens all the time. But how long does that fruit last? It doesn't last very long at all. Uh, that type of ministry, it is like the Bradford pear. Does anybody know what the Bradford pear tree is? I don't expect everybody here to do it because it's from the south. Um, but as a, there it is. It's a very popular tree in the south. The Bradford pear. Um, very popular. It is the symbol, in fact, of all of suburbia in the South. So everybody has them in their, in their yards. They're so popular. But why are they so popular? Well, as you can see, they, they're pretty trees. They bloom nicely, and they grow really fast. And you know, in America, we like instant gratification from our fast food to our fast-growing trees. We love our fast stuff. So fast-growing trees. They're beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, they're not so beautiful. Do you know they stink, those trees? They smell really bad, like, like fish or like rotting fish. They're terrible trees, but they're pretty, but they stink. And they cross-pollinated them over the years with other species, and they've created this environmentally destructive thorn. They're covered in thorns now, thorn mess. They're just terrible. Um, but they've got weak branching structures. As you can see there, the roots are kind of on the outside, they're on the top of the ground. Nothing can grow underneath them. There's no grass underneath these trees. They're just, they're ugly now. Um, and the problem is with the way that they're designed, you get a 30-foot tree, if it meets a 40-mile-an-hour wind gust, that tree will collapse. I mean, a, three, a third grader can go over and push the tree over probably. They're very weak. And the reason why they're weak is because all of their major branches, they converge on a single point on that tree. And so the trunk can't handle the stress. And when anything happens, whether it's wind or anything, that whole tree will just collapse and fall apart into thorns. A lot of people can plant them, though. They're easy to plant, and they will grow fast. A lot of people can plant them. But oak trees are another story. Those take time. They take patience. They take commitment. They've got deep roots that go into the ground. They grow really big, and they cast shade. Life spring. Let's produce that kind of fruit. Let's produce the oak trees. Let's not produce the pear trees or the Bradford pear. Let's produce fruit that lasts. Even when people stand against us, boldly present his gospel no matter what it costs. And there will be, I guarantee you, there will be people who stand against us. It's all throughout the Bible. There are people, if you've ever preached the word, there you'll see there are people that stand against you. But be strong in your faith. Boldly present the Bible no matter what it costs. Let's seek to be faithful. Let's, the Lord calls us to faithful service. All right, so here's the second thing I want you to understand from this passage this morning is this. Lovingly give your life beyond where it hurts. <clears throat> Lovingly give your life beyond where it hurts. Paul also de clearly describes deeply, or he de deeply loves the believers in Thessalonica. He didn't just coldly preach at them. 
He preached at them with love. He still loves them. That's why he sent Timothy to check on them. He was chased out of town, but then he sent Timothy to check on them. And that's why he's writing, the, writing them this letter, because he loves the people. And you have to remember, Paul, he didn't used to love those people, right? He was Saul. And what he did was atrocious to the Christian community. And the fact that he now, after he's been changed by God, and his eyes have been opened, literally, he can... He loves these people so much and so deeply. And again, we see a set of things that Paul says he didn't do. And he's speaking out against those that turn the Thessalonian believers against him. Look at verse 5 and 6 with me. Apostle says he didn't come with flattery. He didn't come with flattery. He wasn't being slick. He wasn't trying to confuse them with smooth words. That's not how Paul rolls. He also wasn't motivated by greed. He's not motivated by money. He isn't trying to get instead of give. And he's not about applause. Paul writes, Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. He's not about being a celebrity. We know he's about giving God glory. He says they didn't pursue praise. says here, Though he could have made demands as apostles of Christ. As an apostle, he and the others could have commanded respect. They could have done that. They could have said respect or honor, but they didn't. They laid that down for the believers. And in doing that, Paul did one thing. He looked a lot like Jesus. It says in Philippians 2, 5, describing how our Lord humbled himself, Paul writes this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born out of the likeness of men. His Lord, Jesus, Paul's Lord, our Lord, he didn't cling to his privileges when they were rightfully his, right? He, he came to serve. So why should Paul, why should we cling to those privileges? Um, the rise of the mega church has uh, made me think about this this week along with podcasts. You guys have probably all heard a lot of podcasts. They're all over the place. But what, has, what this has led to now is this new celebrity uh, pastor phenomenon, right? You've probably, you've heard pastors. Oh, you know, I'm not going to say any names, but there's this new celebrity pastor phenomenon. And I would say that most of them, most of these guys, they didn't get into this because of that. Sometimes it just happens that way. And from what I hear, it's easy to get used to the applause, to get used to the resources, and finding yourself doing whatever it takes to maintain it all through the kinds of messed up methods that Paul was describing. You wake up one day and you find yourself loving the stage more than loving the people. Our enemy tries to bait men toward this. And of course, he loves it when they crash and burn. That pastor friend I was talking about earlier, he let it get all get to him, and he went down hard. And it was heartbreaking to watch. But you know, this isn't just about pastors. It's this danger is for all of us. It's in all of our lives. As we try to serve Christ and do ministry, we can do it for our glory instead of God's. It's, it's just that simple. What can we get out of it instead of doing it out of love? Paul is just a man and he's not perfect. But it's love that's driving his ministry in Thessalonica and everywhere else. 
Listen to his affection for that church. I want to read this. In verse 8, he says, he's affectionately serious of those believers and says that Thessalonians have become very dear to him and his missionary brothers. There is deep affection in his heart. But there's more than that. There's action. There's sacrifice. Paul just doesn't see himself as a steward. Notice the words I skipped over. He also feels like a mother to them. That's odd. That's weird that this manly man, you know, that's how I see Paul. He's this manly man is seen as a mother. He feels, he compares himself as a mother to them. It says in verse 7, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Previously, Paul called himself and his brother stewards of the gospel, but now he's comparing himself and them all to mothers. He knows the relationship. He understands the relationship between a mother and her child, between a mother and her baby, the nurturing that takes place, the bonds that are made between them. Calling himself a dad just isn't going to suffice. He has to go beyond that. He has to compare himself to a mother. Listen to John Stott. John Stott is an English Anglican priest, and this is what he has to say about it. Far from using them to minister to himself, he gave himself to minister to them. It is a loving thing that a man as tough and masculine as the Apostle Paul should have used this feminine metaphor. Some Christian leaders become both self-centered and autocratic. The more their authority is challenged, the more they assert it. We all need to cultivate more in our pastoral ministry of the gentleness, love, and self-sacrifice of a mother. Now this morning, uh, especially during first service, uh, one of the things that I saw that I see often when I look out at you guys is tired moms. Tired moms. Moms who gave up another night of sleep. Moms who served until they collapsed in bed that night. Who were up late last night nursing. Who were up early this morning because of a crying baby. You sacrifice yourself. And you did it out of love. Sure, I'm sure at times you didn't want to or you told your husband to get up and take care of it. Been there? It's great. But You've been tender with your child. You've been gentle and sacrificial with your children. And I've seen this in my own wife, uh, who did the same thing, raising our, helping me raise their children. Her commitment and her affection for our kids is beautiful. And the best part about a mother is they're willing to hurt. They're willing to hurt for the health of their child. I'm not meaning they, they're willing to go hurt somebody, but they're willing to hurt themselves for the health of their child. There's a story, uh, this mother in Wyoming, she found herself in a house fire with her 12-day-old baby, 12 days old, and she was stuck on the top floor in their house in a house fire with flames and smoke all around them. And she, did, she thought of something that she could do, so she went, she grabbed um, the car seat, she put her little baby in that car seat, strapped her in, and threw her out the window. The baby survived because of the car seat, but then mom died. Due to smoke inhalation, she died. That's a mother's love. She's willing to hurt herself for the health of her child. And that's how Paul describes himself with the people of God. And that's what we should aspire to become as well. It's so easy for us to just serve ourselves, to ignore the needs of those around us. But the Lord calls us to sacrificial love for the sake of the gospel. He calls us to be sacrificial, to share, as verse 8 puts it, not only the gospel of God, but of our own selves with one another. He 
calls us to be, as mother, to be as mothers to those around us. He tells us to lovingly give our lives. To do it even when it hurts. And God will use that. He will use that. Here's another important principle I want you to hear today. It's this. Instruction must spring from affection. Instruction must spring from affection. Paul's teaching when he was there, he's teaching these words right here. He's teaching that instruction must spring from affection. These clearly come from a deep love of these people and the type of service that God is trying to call them to be. This is what Paul was engaged of. Regardless of what the haters were saying around him, he loved those people and he was giving instruction out of love. There is power in that kind of love. Let's give our lives, church. The Lord calls us to be sacrificial service. Paul shows us a vision for Christian services here. He gives it to us two aspects of the service in this passage. He says, boldly present as gospel, no matter what it costs, and lovingly give your life beyond where it hurts. The Lord calls us to faithful, sacrificial service. And it just isn't pastors and church leaders. Everyone, we are all servants in this room. We are all ministers, laborers of the gospel. It's up to all of us. I want to go back to how I started. That person who you were thinking of at the beginning of the service, who has influenced you so well, who has impacted your life, I bet they did those things. I bet he or she taught you the truth, even said hard things into your life, spoke into your life. I bet, though, that person also did it out of love, not hate, not anger. And you could probably sense their affection for you. And that gets displayed in their actions. We talked about this in men's group as well. We were trying to think of like people who, who affected our lives, who changed us. And I remember a couple of pastors from when I was younger who put me on a, a different path, on the path that I'm on right now, when I could have been complete 360, complete opposite 180, just in a different direction. Those people may mean so much to us. If you didn't have those people in your lives, who knows where, if you would even be here today? Who's in your life that might be changed because of you that you don't even know about? Let me tell you something. There's going to be fruit in your life that you will never see on this side of heaven. But it will change people. The way you are around people, it will change their lives forever. I'd like to invite the worship team up. This last part here. I skipped over the beginning of this, at the beginning, but it's so encouraging. It says here, Paul says of Thessalonians, our coming to you is not in vain. It was not in vain. That word vain, it means empty. So their ministry in Thessalonica was in no way empty. Our coming to you was not empty, is what he's telling them. But there's good news. If we are faithful to the gospel of God, and we are sacrificial in our service to the people of God, our ministry will be full of substance and full of character. It won't be hollow. And it won't lack results. God will work in your life. You have to be faithful. You may not see Him immediately. You may not see it ever. It may take time. But be faithful. Produce. Speak the gospel boldly for God. And the Lord will be faithful as we do work His way, not our way, but God's way. Hear these words 
from Isaiah 55 as we close. We have to hear from our way or his way because of this. For our thoughts are not your thoughts. Or for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Life spring, faithful, sacrificial service is never in vain. Let's trust and obey what Jesus has for us. Let's pray. Father God, just so grateful for this morning, for this time we get to come together and just share this word with just everybody in here, Lord Jesus. I just pray, Lord God, that things just change today, change right this moment, and that the Holy Spirit fills us up, each individual in this room, fills our hearts up. And when we leave here, we leave changed and transformed in the name of Jesus Christ. We leave here changed. We leave here not focused on ourselves, but focused on God, focused on our friends, focused on our neighbors and our family, not focused on ourselves, focused on the call that you have put into our lives. You are an amazing Father. And we just love you so much. And all God's people said, Amen.